when you give a dark money group the right to pick Supreme Court justices, it's obvious that people are going to try to pay their way to that table to get a voice in making sure that they're a judge who will rule, let's say, for the fossil fuel industry. Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things, and action is the best antidote to anxiety. Today, we're talking about the escalating tensions in Ukraine and the escalating troubles for the Trump crime family. And joining us for our interview is Rhode Island Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. If you've heard anyone in the Senate talk about the insidious influence of dark money, it's probably been him. We're going to help him shine a light on its corrupting and corrosive influence. All of that, plus our reasons for hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How How We Win. I'm so excited about today's show, Mariah, because I've been wanting to sit down and talk to Senator Whitehouse about his efforts to shine a light on dark money and its influence and how it influences our elections and how it influences the Supreme Court for a long time. And I'm thrilled that uh, we were able to get him. It's It was just a fascinating conversation. Yeah, this is one of those um, wonky conversations that uh, y- people are really going to enjoy and just be really fascinated by. Um, this one is going to be one of those podcasts that, you know, you get caught up listening to and you're like, oh, wait, how did I get home? I hope I didn't run any red lights. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if yeah. You li- if you listen to the podcast in the car like I do. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was thinking about that af- after we recorded the interview uh, yesterday. Because he really, uh, and we talk about this with him, you know, there's not a lot of people talking about this issue, uh, including his colleagues. You know, I mean, the reason for that is sadly pretty obvious um, because when we're talking about rooting out dark money, it it cuts both ways, right? You know, know, Democrats can benefit from dark money as well. Um, So we're talking about really getting rid of the corrupting influence of dark money and how our elections are run. And that doesn't always have broad support, but... Yeah, you're letting the the cat out of the bag, you stupid son of a bitch. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You can edit that out. Please edit that. Oh, thank you for emulating our president. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> bad, bad, bad. I'm Is giving it, away it, too much of the interview. That's right. And I'm acting like a stupid son of a bitch. It feels awful to say it. <laughs> like, I, you know, it, it, Steve's are always the worst. And I just don't appreciate that. Like any 80s, 90s movie, Steve is always the douchebag. Now we've got Steve <laughs> Ducey. He is a stupid son of a bitch. And kudos for President Biden for calling him out on that. What is now being called Bitchgate. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, that's the I don't really think that that naughty word about Steve. Thank you. Steve, there but, are good Steves but, in this world, too. Just I'm here to tell you. <laughs> this is a good Steve, but I thought it would be funny. I, I wanted to feel what is uh, what does it feel like to say something so awful? <laughs> no, I know. I feel you're bad. very you're very <laughs> kind. There are way more awful things that can be levied against Fox News, uh, quote unquote, reporters than that word. <laughs> Um, but speaking of 
news again an uncomfortable segue after talking about fox but um let's uh let's talk about our top items of the week yeah i think you know the the big thing that everybody's looking at right now that at the moment doesn't feel like it has domestic implications but certainly potentially could Mm -hmm. um very quickly is that the pentagon has ordered 8,500 U.S. troops to go on standby to support NATO allies if Russia invades Ukraine. Um, The troops haven't been activated uh, and they will not be authorized to enter Ukraine. Uh, So that's really important to know. But intelligence analysts say that um, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin has mobilized 100,000 troops near the Ukraine border, but has not made a decision yet about whether to invade. Um, So right now what's happening is a lot of diplomacy, a lot of um, prep work on all sides, but apparently no decision on Russia's side about whether to invade. It's going to be really interesting to see how all of this plays out here in the States. Um, Biden has said that an invasion would be the most consequential thing that's happened in the world in terms of war and peace since World War II. Um, so a very big deal, but we're also going to see here at home how our elected officials approach this. And we are going to, I think, see, and we have seen some Republicans who might look at Russia and say, hey, what's the big deal? And uh, some will say, oh, Ukraine is a is an autonomous democracy. You can't just invade it. Um, So I think it's going to be really important for people to pay attention to what their local electeds are are saying about this, because it's going to be very revealing. And I'm not saying like a, you know, old school, like anti-Russia, blah, 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 blah. I'm saying Mm -hmm. like, um, are you a supporter of democracies or not? And if you're not, what does that mean about your behavior here at home? Yeah, it's um, uh, just this morning, a huge cargo plane full of uh, munitions and supplies came from the U.S. to the Ukrainian uh, military. Uh, The embassy has been largely emptied out, the American embassy in the Ukraine. um, They emptied of of non-essential personnel and family members were, were told to go home. So it's definitely a scary time and we're on the brink of, of something scary. And as you said, this used to be such a kind of clear-cut position. Um, an autocracy shouldn't invade a democracy. Like, I mean, you know, like that's one thing that is nonpartisan that we have been able to get behind in the past. But it is so indicative of the deep damage that Trump did in the four years he was in office and the mm-hmm. um, and the way that he built this, re- you know, or tried to build this relationship with Putin. Well, he already had the relationship with Putin, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's deeply disturbing, the rift that our country has. I mean, you saw it with, you see it with the coronavirus and the response to that. There was new studies right now that, sure. you know, that boosted people are actually more worried about the coronavirus than non-vaccinated, which makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, we're just in alternate ecosystems right now. We are so politically divided on issues that I, I never imagined we would be politically divided on. And this is definitely one of them. Yeah, that's so interesting. It feels sometimes like we're we're all, we're living, we're living together, but we're 
like living in different realities. It's um, it's very in parallel realities. It's very odd. We are. Um, there's a, a Matrix sequel in there somewhere. <laughs> we just got one. It started <laughs> off really strong, and then kind of I was like, meh. Anyway. Um, The other big news of the week is actually a follow-up to something we talked about last week that, um, you know, one of the few people in this country who might have the power to bring criminal charges when it comes to uh, Trump and his allies' attempts to uh, futz with the election results in 2020 is the Fulton County, Georgia district attorney. She has been granted a special grand jury that can convene on May 2nd. Can I be um, on it? Do you gra- have to live in Georgia? Can I be on the grand jury? Please, 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 please. Oh, are you going to move Are you gonna move to Fulton <laughs> County, Georgia? <laughs> I guess not. Sorry, I didn't mean to sure, interrupt. Patrick, I just got like, overly I, I, enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a summons, but I'd like to volunteer for jury duty, please. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the grand jury is going to be authorized to investigate anything that appears to have violated election laws in the state of Georgia and make recommendations concern, concerning criminal prosecution. Mm-hmm. So um, in May, and I think they have like a like a year, like it, this could go on for a year to mm-hmm. kind of get this wrapped up. Um, but starting in May, that's going to be going on behind the scenes. So, a year is an unsatisfying timeline, but May, you know, is my birthday month. So so that's a nice little birthday gift. Oh, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, stuff tighten up. We've been talking about this the last few weeks, and um, uh, Mr. Perlman talked about it uh, in our interview last week, too. It's mm-hmm. – uh, we had uh, – Did we talk about this last week? I'm not sure. Maybe this happened right after we recorded, but the Supreme Court denied the suppression of all of uh, Trump's archives to the January 6th commission. So all of the uh, records of what happened on January 6th are coming out. We're seeing conversations that happened, you know, with Trump's kids. Ivanka has been summoned by the commission. Um, Mm -hmm. Eric had to testify in the New York AG's um, investigation into the Trump Corporation, which uh, Ivanka's also named in, in that. Uh, there's just a lot of activity, uh, you know, justice wanting to be served for the Trump crime family. And, um, you know, uh, it, it can't come soon enough. I'm super excited to finally see, you know, some justice served. And it's shocking even though it shouldn't be shocking, it really is to see these documents released. Uh, a draft executive order that Trump uh, put out and thankfully didn't put out, but drafted sending military to seize voting machines. Like it's cr- it's crazy. It is crazy. Yes. Um, it just shows how close we were to yeah. the literal fall of our democracy. Yeah, every every piece of information that that comes out that has come out uh, uh, since since last January, just like yeah, like you said, we were we were close to something very concerning. And a lot of the, I mean, that's what one of the things that was really eye opening about the podcast last season. We had so many really well informed guests who were shook by what they were reading and hearing behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, as you know, things were starting to be unveiled. Um, and last but not least on our list is, um, oh man, Supreme Court 
this Supreme Court uh, hearing again cases challenging affirmative actions at um, universities. Yeah, I, I think this is another thing along with we just had the anniversary of Roe versus Wade and and we mm. know that that decision is under threat too. You know, we now have a you know bought and paid for by dark money Supreme Court that is uh, um, threatening uh, these really important uh, decisions and we just have to wait and see, but it's a good opportunity to once again talk about how important it is to really listen to uh, Senator Whitehouse's interview with with how this has worked, with the decades long effort by the GOP to um, to stack the courts with conservative judges, um, and uh, you know we we got to fight back. We have to shed light on this. We have to shed a big spotlight on this. So, yeah, that interview is just a couple minutes away. But first, we want to get to our Hero of the Week. What's your Hero of the Week today, Mariah? Um, my Who? Hero of the Who's Week Who's your Hero is... of the Week? Sorry. Who's your Hero <laughs> of the Week? <laughs> my Hero of the Week this week is a person. It's um, Neil Young, one of my helpless, nephew's favorite artists. Helpless. There you go. That was a special <laughs> treat for all of our listeners. <laughs> Um, my nephew is in kindergarten, plays Neil Young records on repeat. Oh, like, nice. On repeat. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, anyway, uh, he's going to have to hold on to his records because Neil Young, um, is asking to have his music removed from Spotify, which is the platform that Joe Rogan's podcast is on. And Joe Rogan has said some very questionable things about, COVID and vaccines and um, medications used to get over COVID, <clears throat> ivermectin. Um, <laughs> and Neil Young is not having any of it and says, as long as Spotify is supporting Joe Rogan, which, you know, they've given him the most lucrative podcast deal in history, uh, as long as they're doing that, um, Neil Young doesn't want his music played on there. So yeah. um, I say kudos. Anytime somebody's going to put their um money where their mouth is mm -hmm. to use a cliche that's when that's when they're the real deal and i appreciate neil young standing up for his, his beliefs and saying hey i don't i don't i mean he doesn't need the money i'm sure but Me sure too. it's nice to have yeah no <laughs> but, <laughs> you know it's uh he's standing up for the courage of his convictions is something that neil yeah. young has always done and um so i like that too of course I hope some other artists uh, follow suit with that, you know, uh, to really make an impact. You know, like if uh, if a T Swift, for instance, was to say, "I'm pulling from Spotify because of the uh, terrible, oh, man. you know, COVID misinformation that Joe Rogan is spewing," that would really make Spotify pay attention. But um, she know. could literally just like make all kinds of policy. <laughs> yeah, that that would be cool. I, I don't know what policy I want her to make, but like, <laughs> yo, don't yeah. invade Ukraine. Don't <laughs> invade Ukraine. And everyone be like, well, you know, <laughs> I'm scared we won't have any more Taylor Swift music. So invasion's over. Like that's done. <laughs> if only it was that easy. Um, all right. Well, let's get everyone to work right now. Let's talk about our to-do list.
our to-do list right now is uh, our friends at Swing Left and their big kickoff weekend of organizing that's happening this weekend on the 29th and the 30th. Swing Left's big organizing kickoff weekend. You can find events, join up with the new group, join in with your existing group. This is the big push to get involved and start making the plans for the midterm and uh, and have that sense of community, which, spoiler alert, is part of my reason for hope that I'm going to talk about after the interview. But um, we're going to put the link up in our show notes for people to sign up uh, on Mobilize. There are tons of events. You can find one near you. And uh, spend the weekend connecting with some other volunteers and activists and, and, and getting involved for the midterms. It is um, so exciting to go to this link and see the list of places. And, uh, I, you know, if you don't see your place on, on the map or, or at the link, then that means that we need you to uh, take the lead on doing something. Um, or maybe you're like me, you're like, hey, New, New Orleans. Okay, let's go to New Orleans for the kickoff. I wouldn't mind that at all. <laughs> That's a fun, fun activist vacation there. Um, but yes, to your point, if you don't find something close by, then that means that we need an event there. So, you know, think about hosting one yourself, you know. So we'll put it. those we'll put those links up. Get involved. This is the big action weekend, and uh, of course, we love promoting our our old besties. Swing left. So uh, please join in with that. Once a bestie, always a bestie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Um, I teased a little bit about my reason for hope. We're going to be back right after this very important interview with Sheldon Whitehouse to talk about them. Sheldon Whitehouse is the junior senator from Rhode Island, where he has served since 2007. He was Rhode Island's U.S. attorney and state attorney general before being elected to the Senate, and he currently serves on the Finance Committee, Judiciary Committee, Environmental and Public Works Committee, the Budget Committee, the big ones. Senator Whitehouse has championed efforts to shine a light on the dark money from our elections and make Congress and the courts accountable to the American people. Senator Whitehouse, it's a privilege to talk to you, and thanks for joining joining us today. All right, thanks for having me on. It's great. There's obviously so much to talk about today, but before we jump in, uh, the University of Rhode Island just revoked Rudy Giuliani and Michael Flynn's honorary degrees. Did you have something to do with that? <laughs> no, that was entirely their own decision, and I think, uh, unfortunately, abundantly well justified. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you... Did you think, you know, just a few years ago that Giuliani would be in this position? I didn't think either of them would be. I met Michael Flynn in Afghanistan when he and his brother were on the command team. Um, and it was, I was really proud that these two Rhode Island brothers hmm. from Middletown, Rhode Island, who had joined the military and risen so high in it were there in these positions of real responsibility. And I thought when he went over to the um, Defense Intelligence Agency, that was a good thing. And from that moment on, he just seems to have spiraled right off the stage. When I saw him as a retired military officer chanting, lock her up, right. I really had to wonder, because one thing that the military is taught about, it's what democracy means. 
And the idea that you're chanting lock her up about a Democratic candidate is. Yeah. Yeah. How the mighty, how the mighty have fallen. It's it's pretty unbelievable the the mass delusion that some people seem to have been caught up in from from very early on. Um, it's been a tough few years, uh, but last week in particular um, was a tough one in the Senate, and you gave a fantastic speech on the floor, um, but ultimately it was not enough to persuade a, a single Republican and two Democrats to pass even a small change to the filibuster um, for, for voting rights. How are you feeling about that? And where do we go from here on voting rights? Uh, not feeling great about it. It's, um, I think, a really unfortunate turn of events. Um, and I think that probably the next step on voting rights will be to pick some of the elements of the bill mm -hmm. and make sure that the Republicans have to vote on them as well. Start, you know, building the record. Mm -hmm. At the moment, they can say, well, there's this one thing in that bill that I didn't like. Right. That was the Democrat poison pill that drove all of us Republicans off of it. Mm. So you kind of, to make them honest about this, you got to break it out and make them vote on some of the subparts. In fact, all of them, if we can find the time. Um, but the key ones to me are this whole bulk gerrymandering scam that mm -hmm. they've run, which the public really does not like. Mm -hmm. And then the thermonuclear one, the kryptonite that the public completely detests is dark money corruption. Mm. They completely got away with voting against transparency in political spending. They never brought it up. I think I was one of the few speeches that focused on it. Um, so we've got to really drive that point home because that's a point that resonates with voters across the spectrum. And if we're going to hold off the battering that it looks like we're going to take in 2022 in Congress, we've got to have a better story than we have right now. And I think... Um, Casting the Republicans as the dark money party wreathed in special interest corruption is as good a storyline as we're going to get. Yeah, and it's accurate, too. So it's easy and to, it, to, to and tell that story. And the benefit of being true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, to your point, last week also marked the 12-year anniversary of the Citizens United decision. As a result of that decision, since 2010, there's been $7.4 billion of outside spending in federal elections, and over $1 billion in untraceable dark money was spent in 2020 alone. So if we're taking the voting rights bill piecemeal, um, uh, where does your Disclose Act fall in that? Does it have a new life? And, and for listeners who might not be familiar with the Disclose Act, can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, it basically requires anybody who gives more than 10 grand in an election to identify themselves. And it's set up so that if you hide behind a front group or hide behind a front group that's hiding behind a front group, mm. no matter how many Russian dolls you nest in, we will find you in that law. So it'll be effective at getting through to the over $10,000 donors. And I think that will make a very big difference. 
what we see now is, you know, $10 million donors. Mm. And um, that goes back to Citizens United that let unlimited amounts of money flow. And then I'll just throw in one added point, which is that the worst thing about Citizens United was the Republican justice's failure to enforce it on its own terms. They said that the reason, the reason that they would let the unlimited money flow is because it would all be transparent. Mm, And so there's no danger of corruption and voters can see what's going on around them. And of course, instantly, particularly the fossil fuel industry, figured out how to hide its identity and go through front groups and super PACs and donors trust and everything else. And over and over again, we brought this up to the court. And in one case, we did it in bipartisan fashion. John McCain and I Mm. wrote a brief together to the court saying, you were had, this was back when I thought this was an innocent mistake, (laughs) you were had, and you need to clean up this mess. You said it was going to be transparent. This, This case is your chance to clarify that it actually has to be transparent or else it doesn't qualify. And then we brought it up, I brought it up again in the case about super PACs. So they knew perfectly well that their transparency predicate was not true and they had plenty of chances to fix it and they conspicuously deliberately refused to fix it so they don't just own the unlimited nature of the money they also own that it's unlimited dark money they did that by omission not commission um i mean you kind of answered my question but i'm wondering if you have more specifics let's say um the disclose act passes what do you think this transparency will do for voters? What might they find out that might um, change, <laughs> uh, you know, who or what they support? Just for our listeners, uh, the senator did a great eyebrow take just he now. Did. That you couldn't see. <laughs> I feel like you have some. You know, good I think they'd find out a lot. I think the two big things that would happen is that one would there'd be a huge education for voters. You know, a citizen has a job in this country. You don't just sit there in front of your TV like a consumer and pick, right? You're supposed to be an active participant in your democracy. Being a citizen is a duty and a job, and you're disabled from doing that duty Hmm. and doing that job properly if you don't know who out on the political field is doing what to whom. When the ad comes in that says Sheldon Whitehouse is a rat, This ad was brought to you by Rhode Islanders for Peace and Puppies and Prosperity. And there's no such thing in real life as Rhode Islanders for Peace and Puppies and Prosperity. It's it's weird. And you lose your grip on what's going on around you. If it said this ad was brought to you by ExxonMobil, then you go, ah, I understand. I know what's going on here. I can do my job as a as a citizen. So that would be one really important thing. And the other thing is, I think a lot of the dark money would just disappear, be like turning on the light in the kitchen and the cockroaches all scuttle for the dark. Yeah, I we have a sim, the same kind of I'm here in California. We have uh, a similar problem with ballot propositions. And I have people who reach out to me all the time wondering like which way they should vote on a ballot proposition. And it's almost just a general rule of thumb, like where are the most ads coming from? Who's spending the most money? Vote the other way on that, you know, because <laughs> it's just I pretty mean, safe bet. But to your point, Steve, can you tell? Right. Yeah. No, you because can't. if they're all these, what they do is they set up phony front groups mm-hmm. and they launder their money through the phony front group and the phony front group buys the ad 
And then when you try to figure out who the phony front group is, it traces to a mail drop someplace and maybe a lawyer who says, I'm not telling you nothing about who funded this. And so you're stymied in trying to figure out whose voice it is you're being forced to listen to. And that's just not right. Not in a democracy. It's, yeah, I mean, the corrupting influence of dark money on our democracy is hard to ignore. It's, it's, you know, fundamental. Somebody called what we're in right now a tsunami of slime. Yeah. And that phrase has stuck with me, tsunami of slime. Some, a, a newspaper writer came up with that, and I use it now quite a lot. And one of the reasons we're having a tsunami of slime is because of these phony front groups. Right. If somebody had to put a really slimy smear ad on TV and it had to be in the real name of the real entity, Mm -hmm. if it was ExxonMobil or if it was, you know, the candidate running against me, then they would have to hold back on the sliminess because they would be accountable for their voice. But when they can set up a phony front group, you can foul that group and then just throw it away like toilet paper Mm. and no one's accountable. And so the torrent of slime continues again because of the dark money because of the supreme court which not coincidentally is the court the dark money built right now well let's let's talk quickly about that too because i heard you on a a panel once talking about um the dark money that also places justices and uh, influences the courts and that when companies are trying to get legislation pushed through and they're trying to court lawmakers and it doesn't happen on on the Hill, they just go across the street to the Supreme Court and, and file over there. Can you explain how that works and how dark money has influenced the courts? Yeah. First of all, it's not simple and it's not something you set up overnight. They've been building this over years. I think it probably really started in earnest after Bork blew up in bipartisan fashion and they had to figure out another way to try to radicalize the court. So a lot of money, first of all, the the Republican judicial selection turnstile was set up in the Federalist Society, which is a Republican organization. They say they're not, but they obviously are. Um, And it's one that takes enormous anonymous unreported contributions. So it's a dark money group. And when you give a dark money group the right to pick Supreme Court justices, it's obvious that people are going to try to pay their way to that table to get a voice in making sure that they're a judge who will rule, let's say, for the fossil fuel industry. And then once they've got them picked, a whole new little apparatus pops up to pay for the political campaigns to push the selected justice. And that's another set of dark money groups led by something called the Judicial Crisis Network. But there's, I don't know, 40 groups in that uh, array. And then once you get that done and it's time for the vote, you'll find that there's enormous overlap between those dark money groups and the dark money groups that fund Mitch McConnell and his super PACs and his uh, leadership PACs and his dark money so-called outside independent groups. Mm -hmm. The Republicans line up very quickly because they're the funding source for them. And then once they get them on the court, there may be, I think the biggest we've seen is 50, 50 front groups that turn up each pretending to be independent Mm -hmm. as amicus curiae and broadcast an orchestrated message to their appointees on the court. 
Okay, mm-hmm. fellas, here's what we want. And then you go and look at the end result, and sure enough, they get it over and over and over and over again, well beyond what statistics would uh, justify. Something's going on. Yeah, and we're seeing some new cases in front of the court right now that are uh, very worrisome as well. Yeah, some really grim ones. What uh, what has you most concerned right now? I think the uh, extent to which the court that dark money built Mm -hmm. is in turn building a constitutional right to dark money Mm. for their dark money benefactors. (laughs) The scariest case for me was um, the Americans for Prosperity Foundation case that just came up. And if you're not keeping score, you wouldn't really know what Americans for Prosperity Foundation is. In the modern era, the dark money political state of the art is to set up a 501c3 corporation and a 501c4 corporation under the uh, IRS code. And the 501c4 does the political stuff and the 501c3 does everything you get a tax deduction for research and organizing and those sorts of things. So the Koch brothers centerpiece of their dark money archipelago of, of uh, operations is Americans for Prosperity. It's the 501c4. And the Americans for Prosperity Foundation is its adjunct, it's its twin, it's its alter ego. So it's the Koch brothers political operations centerpiece that goes into the court and says, you know, California shouldn't be entitled to find out who gives us money, even if it helped them combat fraud and self-dealing and tax deductibility in wealthy families. And the Supreme Court agrees never bothers to distinguish what they said in um, Citizens United, which is the only thing that defends us from corruption in this space is transparency. Mm-hmm. Now, when it's the Koch brothers operation and they're asking, now it's, oh, you have a constitutional right not to be transparent. Absolutely. This is part of your right of association. And they cook uh, that right up out of thin air. It does not exist. The um, least surprising thing about that was that the Koch brothers were involved in that anecdote. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Um, Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, President Biden's first year in office. Um, Extraordinarily challenging, but also uh, we've overcome a lot, adding 6.4 million jobs. 2021 saw the largest yearly increase in labor force participation since 1996. What has this first year having the majority meant to you? Good news on jobs. Mm -hmm. Good news on, very good news on infrastructure. Right. Good news on economic equality to the extent that the rescue funds went out and helped with things like the child tax credit and earned income tax credit and Mm -hmm. Uh, all of that. Um, Disappointment so far on Build Back Better and on climate, which is baked into Build Back Better to some degree anyway. Um, And then I think at some point, this White House needs to pay attention to the fact that there is this enormous apparatus out there um, of dozens of front groups that have billions of dollars in dark money at their disposal filtered through, you know, the Koch brothers and Donors Trust and the Bradley Foundation and the Scaife Foundation and the Mercers and the DeVosses and all of that. Um, 
and that some attention needs to be paid to that apparatus, which is out to steal the court, suppress the vote, own the Republican Party. Um, it's a it's an ambitious scheme that they're operating. And so far, they've gotten away with exactly zero pushback from the Biden administration. In fact, the president has only used that two-word term that Jane Mayer made famous, dark money. He's only used that term once in his entire first year in office. Hmm. So I'm hoping that there'll be a renewed focus on taking on this enterprise mm -hmm. that is up to so much evil in our democracy. You know, uh, you as we said in the beginning, you're you've been championing this issue and it's so fundamental to our democracy, but we don't hear about it from a lot of other uh, of your colleagues. And as you just said, we don't I hear know, about it from so Biden. Why, why aren't they shouting it from the rooftops? Because I don't think we're very strategic. Yeah. You know, the Republicans are basically run like a corporate enterprise and they have a lot of the benefits of corporate enterprise. They plan ahead. They send things out to subsidiaries. They uh, know how to bring people together for board meetings and make decisions and then effectuate those decisions. Um, they plot and plan and strategize and can do that for, for years, for decades even to yeah. accomplish their goals. We run from outrage to outrage <laughs> and fulminate in either fury or joy, depending on how it turned out, um, on how the outrage turned out. And then we move on to the next outrage. And our groups tend to be a cat herd of different groups that aren't <laughs> particularly well organized together, yeah. whereas they're run like a, you know, almost like a quasi military machine. Um, and ours are always scrambling for money with each other and amongst each other, whereas they have essentially unlimited money pouring in from the billionaires in the fossil fuel industry. So they're two completely different creatures. And the Republican creature is just much better adapted to the kind of uh, mischief that they're up to than we are to an ability in a persistent way to call it out. Yeah. Well, we have a very large herd of active cats on our show who are volunteers and activists who very much uh, we like to keep busy. Um, yeah. So, you know, what uh, what can we do? What what can we as citizens do right now? Give us our marching orders. OK, here's the basic marching order. The basic marching order is that if you are engaged, you are probably engaged through a group or an organization as my beloved Barbara Mikulski used to say, don't agonize, organize. organize. Yep. So presumably you're in a group that organizes. And what I would ask people to do is to go to whatever group they're a part of that they support, that they engage with and say, what are you doing about dark money? What are you doing about spotlighting what is going on? Because if you're a member of an environmental group, if you're a member of a civil rights group, if you're a member of a labor group, really almost any member of our democratic uh, array, our cat herd of groups, is being damaged and harmed and blockaded and undermined by this dark money operation, and none have it really in their gun sights as a problem. If we all got together and realized that dark money was a common threat, not only to the Republic, but to also the interests that we organize around, then I think it would become a bigger priority. We'd talk about it more, 
the public would be better educated and the sort of positive feedback loop of when a politician says something, the crowd says, yay, we love that. And then they go back and work more and you begin to spin the engine in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Right now, I've been speaking about dark money at times into what seemed like a chasm of silence. And I just think it's so rotten. I keep talking anyway. But I think the more we can get that feedback loop going so that there's energy on our side about getting rid of this dark money issue. And the key to do that, make the damn Republicans vote on the Disclose Act that gets rid of it. Make them vote to protect dark money. Make them vote over and over to (laughs) protect dark money. Make them vote until every American knows that they're the party that is letting these corporate oligarchs run the country through dark money front groups. Make them vote. Hmm. Um, This all all goes back to... uh transparency and you know it really is uh such an important topic but um kind of overwhelming to think about we as democrats so often applaud our our grassroots fundraising you know so many people gave five dollars here and five dollars there and that's so important and it can make a big difference but when you compare that to the billions of dollars in dark money coming from, um, like you said, this really um, almost military-like structure that has a long-term strategy. Uh, uh, Yeah, it it takes more than grassroots donations. So Yeah, I think if you look, there are two concepts that I like to talk about. One is with regarding to the court, regulatory capture. And people have been thinking and reading and writing and, you know, opining about regulatory capture, agency capture forever. Became a big topic when the uh, um, explosion in the drilling rig in the Gulf of Mexico brought attention to how captured the mining management section of the, the interior was. And they had to blow it all up and change its name. And people got referred for prosecution and fired. And but it was a captured agency. Mm. And the Supreme Court has been captured just like it was an agency. And if you've got some experience with agency capture, click, you get it right away. The other is covert operations. Mm. You know, when we're messing around through our intelligence services in other countries, we are often running covert operations that create disinformation in those countries to try to disrupt them, create disarray, Make sure that our point of view is getting through, even if it's not popular or even real. And that type of intelligence strategy for covert disinformation intelligence operations is being deployed against us by our own citizens, by these billionaires and fossil fuel companies. And when you're when you think of it in those terms, you know how to undo it. You expose it. But it has structure. It has reality. It has traditions. It has um, method to it. And so if you understand the method of regulatory capture, and if you understand the method of covert operations, suddenly what they're doing in this country begins to seem a lot clearer. And I think that's worth keeping in mind. Well, it's a daunting fight for sure. Um, but yeah, but transparency and light are very powerful. Well, uh, having said that, uh, we need to let you go, but we have one question we ask all of our guests, and that's what brings you the most hope right now? I guess the um, Jane Mayer article 
Mm-hmm. She's the brilliant writer who wrote the book Dark Money and has been sort of a <laughs> if we if the Democratic Party had a research capacity, um, it would be doing a lot of the work that she's been doing, but we don't, and she does, and so we kind of ride along on her. And she wrote a terrific article based on um, a transcript or a tape that she got of a meeting between Mitch McConnell's minions mm-hmm. and the Koch brothers' political minions. And in all of their minioning around, they were looking at how you wreck up and discredit Democrats' desire to clear out dark money corruption. And what they said in that meeting was, we can't do it. We can't touch it. This stuff is, it's like kryptonite for us. And forget convincing labor Democrats or Bernie bros. We can't even convince our own people. Our own Tea Partiers hate this dark money corruption apparatus. We are really, really in trouble on this issue. So it gives me hope that when we finally realize as Democrats that this is such a powerful issue and our adversaries are totally on the wrong side of it, that we can take advantage of that and really um, bring a day of transparency that right now it's hard to foresee. Mm. Um, we'll have to uh, dig up that article and link everyone to it so so that they can read it. Thank you so much for taking the time. You know, I love this interview because you have such a way of describing things visually, even though this is a podcast, <laughs> you've got slime tsunamis and cockroaches and cat herds. I love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me on, Mara. I really appreciate it. Mariah, what's your reason for hope this week? Uh, My reason for hope, (laughs) let me push up my glasses, is a study (laughs) that came out this week. Uh, So in this study, um, low-income mothers were provided with $20 cash stipends or $333 cash stipends for the first years of their uh, children's lives. And what the study found was that the mothers who received more money, their babies' brain activities changed in ways associated with stronger cognitive development, a finding with potential implications for safety net policy. As we all know, last year, uh, the uh, Democrats put in place this great program that provided payments to families with children. And um, we know that made a, that lifted millions of children out of poverty. Um, those payments ran out recently and have not been renewed. Um, our hope is that they will come back, um, at least for some families. And this sort of study shows that, and they're still looking into whether it was that the children had access to better food or the there were parents in the home who were able to work less and therefore spend more time with the children, but it did impact them at a very fundamental level. Um, So hopefully armed with information like this, um, we can fight to get those tax credits back for families that really need them. That's great. That's a very hopeful, uh, hopeful thing. And and, we have an administration that has the will to renew those tax credits. So I'm hoping that we can get that done. My speaking of getting things done, my reason for hope is people getting 
geared up for the midterms. And we talked about before the interview our call to action, which is to join in with a Swing Left kickoff event this weekend. Once again, we'll have the link to that in our show notes page so you can find a Mobilize event. I, uh, You know how much I love doing training stuff, Mariah. And I was yeah, helping you're a great out. Trainer. Thank you. I was helping out as a trainer um, for California Democratic Party training uh, event. Yes, last night. Doing it again tomorrow night, and it just renewed. Like it got me so excited because we had a break and I had a nice little thing, and then we're coming back to reality and all that. But this was my first event with like activists again and and volunteers and and people like just eager to jump in and and get started for the midterms it's so energizing and it just gave me hope it just filled me with hope and excitement and i'll be honest i didn't want to do it it was at the end of the day i was tired i'm like oh god i gotta do this thing i kind of had to drag myself i made the commitment so of course i was going to do it um and I just left there feeling so charged up and so full of hope and just renewed enthusiasm to kick some butt for the midterm. So um, I, that, it brought me hope, and, uh, and I, I want that for all of our listeners. So please do sign up for an event. Even if you're tired, jump in. We need to build this sense of community again so that we can win in the midterms. Steve, you are perfectly describing how I feel before every training volunteer event before it happens i'm like oh my god i'm so tired i'm going to embarrass myself this isn't a and then i go and i'm like oh my god i love it i love you all (laughs) let's do it let's do it again sign me up and then the next time i'm like oh my god i'm so tired so uh it it, uh it's always uh, and maybe it's because i'm an extreme introvert i don't know but uh it always feels so good once you do it but yeah you got to get over the hump so yeah hope people sign up for something me too All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. So make sure you sign up and volunteer for some stuff right now. We want to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at bluesboysteve or at Mariah underscore Craven. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and drop us a review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. We really appreciate you being here with us and we'll be back with more next Wednesday. MSW.